0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Ron Hart.
1: The scary toilet monster had turned into a Christmas commode of love. (laughs) He will bring us goodness and
2: light.
0: That and more. But first, if you live in San Francisco, come and see me in the new year. Risk is January 19th at 9.30 p.m. at the Brava Theater with Dulce Sloan of The Daily Show, Carrie Kenny Silver of Reno 911, Marie Faustin of Why Are You Single, and Tony Hale of Arrested Development. Then on January 21st at 12.30 p.m. at Lost Church, risk presents what's your story a curated social event where you learn the basics of telling great stories and try out what you're learning in groups and pairs while you're meeting new people tickets are at risk-show.com live we'll be right back This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is the oh so groovy Esquivel behind me now. And this is Holiday Stories number 16, our annual special chock full of Yuletide cheer. And you can find all of our Holiday Stories episodes in your podcast player or at risk-show.com special series now in a little bit we're going to hear from none other than the greatest poet alive james gordon but first a story from ron hart who co-created the disney channel show live and maddie and ron recorded this one at jingle tales a fundraiser produced by suzanne weertz for the Family Services Agency of Burbank that you can find at familyserviceagencyofburbank.org. So here is Ron now with a story we call, Do You Hear What I Hear?
1: So when I was two years old, all I wanted for Christmas was a Fisher-Price farm. They had one in my doctor's office and I loved playing with it. It was this full set. It was like a silo. There's like plastic fencing and chickens. But what I loved the most was the barn. Because when you open the door of the barn, it went, moo. (laughs) Open it real fast, moo. Open it real slow, moo. Pump it, moo, moo, moo. (laughs) hours of entertainment, right? <laughs> but I wasn't sick often enough to really like get to know it. So I, I said to my mom, I'm like, mommy, I want Fisher-Price farm for Christmas. I'm gonna ask Santa. Now I thought my mother would be excited. She did not look excited. She put a hand on my shoulder and she said, you know, I don't know if Santa can bring that to you unless by Christmas, you can use the big boy potty. <laughs> and I was like, OK, boomer. That's not how Santa works. Because Santa's my boy. You know, we had a thing going. I knew I just had to talk to the big guy directly. You know? So we go down to the mall. And uh, you're waiting in line to talk to Santa. My mom's off like, you know, whispering to one of his helpers. And I'm just like working on my speech, right? I would like the Fisher Price Farm please, because I know Santa's a big fan of, like, please and thank you, right? Finally, it's my turn. I get on Santa's lap. He's like, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. What would you like this year, Ronnie? Because he's my boy. And I go, I would like the Fisher Price Farm, please. I thought Santa would be excited. Santa did not look excited. He put a hand on my shoulder. And he said... You know, I don't know if I can bring that to you unless by Christmas you can use the big boy potty. <laughs> and I was like, my, I was just like reeling. I was like, oh my gosh, my mother predicted word for word what Santa was gonna say. I just couldn't process it. And she kind of leads me away and she's like, it's okay. We just have, have you potty trained by Christmas. But it was way more complicated than that. I had to be re-potty trained by Christmas. You see, just a few months earlier, I had been using the big boy potty all the time, like a boss, OK? Like, so like it was a number one. I'd come in, I'd like pull down my drawers, lift up the seat. And at that age, the, the rim of the bowl was like kind of a perfect height. It was like a little shelf <laughs> where I could rest. It was like elf on a shelf but different. The problem was, at that age, I was so, my arms weren't high enough, so I wouldn't pick the, the seat up all the way. It'd only go up about halfway. Oh, you guys heard this story before? And it'd be hanging there, halfway up while I'm peeing, peeing, resting, dangling on the tension of the hinges until The third time this happened to me, I said, this is a bad idea. And I go back to diapers. Now I think this is a very prudent decision for my personal safety. I'm older now, I'm an adult, I have kids. I can appreciate that it must have been a little bit frustrating for my mother to have a child go backwards in potty training. And obviously it had gotten Santa's attention as well. And even though it came for number one, I was also terrified of number two. I mean, I had to sit on the thing that was trying to eat me. But Santa had made the law. It's like I had to defeat the toilet monster if I wanted my farm. Moo. I wanted more than anything to make Santa happy, to make my mom happy. And I tried, but I was just too afraid. And so I was still in diapers on Christmas Eve. I don't want to spoil it, I I got there, guys, okay? (laughs) So Christmas Eve is this important night for my family. My whole extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, we'd all gather at my grandparents' house. It wasn't exactly Norman Rockwell Christmas. Basically, we'd have a big meal, and everyone would watch football while Grandpa snored in the Lazy Boy. But there was one magical thing. Santa would bring me and each of my cousins one present Christmas Eve, a night early. I know you thought I was flexing when I said Santa was my boy, but I had Christmas platinum status. <laughs> and I knew I hadn't held up my end of the bargain, right? I was not using the big boy potty. But I tried, and I thought maybe Santa gave credit for trying. Because under the tree, that box looked like it was about the right size, right? Maybe my farm was there. But when I opened it up, I got boots. And while my cousins are all playing with their brand new toys, I found a note that said, I really hope you can use the big boy potty by Christmas. Ho, 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 Santa. I was like, oh, man, like, that's tomorrow. Like, I, this has to happen, right? And I gave my mom the nod, and she's was like, oh, let's go. Okay, my grandparents were very old world, which is what you say about people you love when they're crazy. <laughs> They had a partially finished basement. That meant it was like cement and cinder blocks. But they also had a full-on second kitchen down there, my grandpa's pool table, and for reasons I've never understood, a toilet in the middle of the room. (laughs) Not, Not a bathroom, a toilet, separated from everything else by a shower curtain. This is where my mother chose to take the boy who was afraid of toilets. <laughs> so I'm on this scary, creepy, old world serial killer toilet, scared to death. I'm scared that Santa's not going to bring me my present. And all this fear is creating all this like tension in my little tiny body, which is stopping me from doing the thing I'm there to do. I was literally scared, poopless. <laughs> And I can't even look down because I'm afraid of this thing, right? So, and I'm just like, uh, and i just making full eye contact with my mom. And in this incredibly awkward moment, my mother goes, Set the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? And I don't know if she was trying to relax me or just take her mind off the fact that she was watching me try to poop. Way up in the sky, little lamb. Do you see what I see? I can't even, like, process this. Now I'm like, now I'm scared, constipated, and confused. But my grandma's down at her old, old world second kitchen pulling uh, cookies out of her oven. She comes in with the harmonies. A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. I know it sounds pitchy. That's a spot on rendition of my grandmother, though. So I'm like, I am like, I'm full on freaking out at this point. But my uncle hears this and he comes down the stairs like he's Bing Crosby, right? Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I? This becomes the sign for everybody upstairs that the party is now downstairs. (laughs) Aunts, uncles, cousins all gathered around the shower curtain separating them from this toilet. Do you hear what I hear? We're not this family, right? We don't carol. We don't sing to the sweet baby Jesus hoping for a Christmas miracle. A song, a song, high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea. But they wanted my wish to come true. They wanted my mother's wish to come true. And they were showing me the lesson that she was trying to teach me, the lesson Santa was trying to teach me, that sometimes it's not enough just to make a wish. You've got to do something to make it come true. The child, the child, sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. And I wasn't afraid anymore. The scary toilet monster had turned into a Christmas commode of love. He will bring goodness and light champagne pops fireworks hark the herald the angels sing the yule log arrived <laughs> and finally there was joy in Pooville. so I raced upstairs and right next to grandpa still snoring the lazy boy under the tree a new present from Santa for me my farm oh. Moo. Oh, that was 50 years ago. Sadly, I I don't have the farm anymore. But, to this day, I still use the big boy potty. (laughs) Now, son, you're getting bigger. Oh, yes, it's really true. And soon you will be ready to do uh, something kind of (laughs) new. So here is your new party, when you have to pee or poo, hey. it's where you sit to do what you gotta do, do, cause it's party time, gotta get down low, Mom. it's
3: party time, just to let it go, God. it's party time, yeah, go with the flow, it's party time, ho, 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 oh. oh, oh, oh. Well, son of mine, what does that say? What oh, the hell is shit. Creepy shits?
0: All I want for Christmas is ones, all, Ireland, all, I all I want for Christmas is All I,
2: Christmas.
0: Christmas. I all want for Christmas. Christmas is All I want for Christmas is All I want for Christmas is All I
1: want for Christmas is All I want for Christmas is All I want for Christmas is yeah,
4: years, four decades of some change, I'd seen some everything black. Black mayor, black lawyers, black coaches, black governors, hell, even a black president. But I had never seen a black Santa. And I lived on the south side of Chicago. I went to various malls and none of the sadness looked like me. They were all white, portly, with the beard and what have you. So it was a huge surprise when my friend came to me and said, hey, would you like to play Santa? And I thought I was being punked or there was some joke attached to it or whatever case, or maybe it was a new video game. But I was like, really? And she says, yeah. I said, well, aren't Santa's white? And she says, well, typically, but not in this case. I said, why are you asking me? She says, well, you have a great personality. You know, you're a bit loud. I am a bit boisterous. The voice booms a bit and I just think you'd be really good with the kids, and I was like, "Well, okay, sure." Do I have to get a costume? You know, I don't have a set outfit. She said, "No, we got one. The guy who was going to do it, he he's going to let you use costume. He cleans and everything." And I said, "Okay, fine." So I went home and I told my mom. I said, "Hey, ma, Angel asked me to be Santa," and she said, "Oh, that's really great." I said, "You don't think that's strange?" She says, "Why?" I said, "Well, because Santa's white." She says, "Well, a lot of things have been white." And and they changed, why not Santa? So I show up, you know, at the appointed time and I, I'm getting into costume and they give me some padding to make myself look chunkier, you know, plump. And when have got my beard, everything is hot. I was sweating immediately. And the guy who was supposed to play Santa shows up and I'm thinking, oh, okay, cool. He's going to take his stuff and he comes and he says, hey man, thank you for filling in. I just started feeling better. And we're at the Park District in Chicago. It's on the south side. And I go up to the curtain, because I'm behind a curtain, and look out into the, because we're inside this giant field house. And I look out in the field house, and there are all these kids, all these black, brown kids, waiting to see Santa, with their parents waiting to see Santa. Channel 7 News is here as well. And then the radio station, WGCI. And a comedian, Just Nash, who's gaining popularity, is the hostess of this event. And she belts out, are you guys ready to see Santa? And everybody goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah!" And I duck my head behind it. I'm like, oh, shit. This is real. And so they give me instructions. They say, hey, so many kids may want to sit on your lap. There's going to be pictures taken. You just hand out gifts, say ho, 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 Christmas, and all that type of stuff. So I get them. The big chair, like Santa normally sits in, and the curtain opens. And it's silent. Because everybody's caught a glimpse of me now. And just Ness says, Everybody, Santa Claus! And you would have thought I was number 23. Not LeBron. Jordan. The way the crowd erupted. And the line formed. And it started. And the kids are coming up in there. They're excited, they jump on, they're telling me their list and what have you. And so everything's going along and it's hot. I'm there, I don't know how long this is. I didn't look at time, I just was ho, 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 Merry Christmas, what would you like for Christmas? Santa's gonna make sure you get that here, but take this in the meantime. This one young man comes up, Rodney, and he looks at me and he pulls my beard down and he says, Santa, you're black. And I say, yeah. He says, Santa, could I be you one day? And I told him, you can be who or whatever you want to be. And he says, I love you, Santa. And I said, I love you too, Riley. And he hugged me real tight. He takes his picture. He says, bye, Santa. And I needed a moment. I signal that I need a moment. Not a long moment, but just a moment to grab myself because I didn't expect that. And so I came off the break. It was only like a couple of minutes and went back. I heard I love you Santa a few more times and I got done at the end of the day and I returned the costume. They asked me would I be willing to do it again I said sure and I've done it subsequent years and it's the impact but doing it that first time making what I feel is my own personal history erasing whatever Stereotypes or whatever stigmas or whatever that had impacted my own thinking about being Santa. We always say representation matters. And I think it did a world of good for those African-American children and those uh, Latino children to see someone that looked like them or close to look like them come from the same area they came from. And it's even though I gave out gifts, I think I got the gift that day.
0: this is Risk and this is the Weather Girls. Not long after it was raining men, I guess they were all out again. And we're hoping Santa could bring some more. And before the break we heard none other than hamster balls with creamy shits. Somewhat altered by our own Taj Easton. Preceded by the wonderful Elmo and someone or other offering him potty training in song. But before that was James Gordon with a story called Unlikely Santa. You can find him on Instagram at Greatest Poet Alive. Folks, there are even more holiday stories over at Patreon.com slash if you love all of our holiday stories episodes, this one and the 15 that came before, help us out. Help keep it all going by becoming a member at patreon.com risk. Now coming up, we're gonna hear a story by Peter Mercury. There's a passing mention of suicide in that story. It's a very heartwarming story. But first, a story from Carolyn Erickson, who is based in Mexico. I love it when we get to hear from more senior voices on the show, so this is a treat. Here's Carolyn now with a story we call The Christmas Hibiscus. Christmas.
2: It's one week before Christmas. It's 1996, I'm 50 years old, and I am dreading this Christmas. So I've called a meeting of the family. Right now, the family is me and my three kids. We're sitting at the kitchen table. This is the same kitchen table we've sat at in the same chairs for our entire lives as a family. Peter's here. He's home from college for the holidays. Peter's 20, he studies math and science. He's logical and always fair. John's here also, well of course he would be here also. He still lives here. He's 17, he's a junior in high school. He's been a peer mediator and in my mind and heart, he is eternally empathic. And, And there's Annie. Annie's 12. Approaching adolescence, she is so sensitive and very, very opinionated. And of course, there's me. I've recently separated from their father. He moved out six weeks ago. So, this is the first Christmas we will be spending without all of us here together. You know, I know the kids are going to see their father probably several times over the holiday, but it's it's not going to be the same. And I know something that they don't know yet. I know that this separation is going to go to divorce. They don't know that yet. They don't know that this isn't an isolated Christmas. The story's complicated, but you know, aren't they all? All the stories of marriages and ends of marriages, they're all complicated. And really, That story doesn't matter right now. What matters right now is that we're sitting at this table together and there's one empty chair. When I look at the end of the table where my husband sat, I see only space and the bird feeder outside the window. I'm exhausted. I can't cook or clean or pick up my clothes or return telephone calls. And I can't do this next week. I can't do Christmas. I can't do any of it. I can't do the cooking. I can't do the cards. I can't do the gifts. I can't do the carols. I can't do the Christmas Eve Scandinavian smorgasbord. I can't go to the Christmas Eve candlelight St. John's Lutheran Church Christmas Eve service with. Silent Night. So I've called this meeting. I've taken it into my head that the best way to approach this Christmas is to throw out all the traditions and memories that could cause us pain. I barely know my name, but I... I feel like I have to take charge here so that this Christmas is not a complete disaster. I'll be upbeat. Maybe I'll even be perky. I'm figuring that if I keep control, if I stay together, my kids will stay together too and we'll, we'll all be fine. I really don't want any crying. So nobody at the table is saying anything. Well, why would they? I'm the one that called the meeting. I'm the one that's supposed to be talking here. And I'm hoping that I'm perky? So, I think we all know that this Christmas is different. I don't look at my kids. And you know what? This is an opportunity to be intentional about Christmas. This is an opportunity to change up things that we haven't liked about Christmas and make make everything new again and um, work as a team so that Christmas works for us and maybe even throw out some traditions. Nobody says anything, so I take that as a sign that I'm doing pretty well here. This is really, really a good idea. Well, I know I'm going to start with a Christmas tree. Every year, we went as a family to cut down a live Christmas tree. Every year, we all weighed in on which tree to cut down, and my husband would cut it down. And we would take the Christmas tree home, and we would put ornaments and lights and tinsel. And, you know, they they weren't fancy. They were like from the Kmart. There was nothing It wasn't a big deal that we just did it. And we put gifts under the tree and we lit Advent candles and we played carols and we waited for the magical, mystical day of Christmas. Well, I can't do that. I can't face the tree. So I know I'm going to start with a tree. Let's start with the Christmas tree. (laughs) I feel myself gesturing to the dining room because I'm looking in the dining room and I see the hibiscus plant in the corner of the dining room, and oh my gosh, it's perfect. You know, those hibiscus plants, two by two by two feet. This one has those salmon-colored flowers. So I feel myself gesturing to the hibiscus plant, and I hear myself saying, This year, instead of a Christmas tree, let's have a Christmas hibiscus. Peter and John are laughing. They think I'm joking. Well, I'm not joking. But I know I'm also not thinking very clearly. And I can feel that my voice is a little weird. It's higher and a little pressured. And I'm talking kind of fast. But I can't stop. I've got to keep going with this. And anyway, I have some, some points to make. Hmm. You know... As a family, we've never talked about Christmas trees. Have we ever really consciously decided that we want a Christmas tree? Like, this has just been part of our, like, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture. Has anybody ever thought about it? Like, do you know, really, that the Christmas tree has nothing to do with Christmas? It's pagan. And number two, do you know that... Cutting down a live Christmas tree doesn't help anybody except the Christmas tree farmer. It certainly doesn't help the planet. And wait a minute, wait a minute, I think I have another point. And also, I'm not looking at my kids, you know. I can't look at them. I'm kind of looking out the window. The kids are a little bit out of focus because I'm on a roll here. And the other thing is that Christmas trees support sexism. Who is it? that gets all the ornaments out of the attic? And who is it that cleans up the dry pine needles? And who is it that takes the ornaments back up into the attic? That's right, it's the mother. Well, that's not even true in our case. But I don't care. And anyway, Christmas hibiscus has a really nice ring to it. Get it? Christmas hibiscus, it, it, it rhymes. Get it? So, really, we can put it on a table, we can decorate it with ornaments, um, yeah, small ones, and lights and put presents under the tree, and a Christmas hibiscus is just like a tree. They're both symbols. That's all they are. It's a symbol. Well, nobody's laughing now. And I take a peek at my children. What's wrong with everybody? They are looking so strange. What is wrong with them? I have a good idea here. I think they're looking kind of scared. Well, now would be the time to ask them, but I can't because I have a plan here. I'm going to hold myself together, and that will hold them together, and I'm just going to keep on with this plan. There's no reason to change the plan. So let's vote How many people want the Christmas hibiscus, and I raise my hand boldly. Peter, my oldest one, home from college, is looking concerned, but he raises his hand also, and I think, Yes, my oldest child is on my side. Two votes for the Christmas hibiscus. Well, what's wrong with John? John is looking very odd, and he looks at me, and then he looks at Peter, and he raises his hand halfway. But it's Annie, sensitive 12 year old Annie who changes everything. I'm about to announce that the Christmas hibiscus has won when she bursts into tears and runs from the room. And John reacts immediately and he is so clear. Poor Annie, he says. Mom! We have to have a christmas tree. What were we thinking, poor Annie? Peter looks at his younger brother. John We voted. Are you going to change your mind every time a woman cries? Well, well, I can't I can't believe this is happening. The brothers are being brothers. They're taking stands. My daughter is up in her room crying. This wasn't supposed to happen. I was trying my best. I really was trying my best for people not to be hurting. I was trying my best. Annie comes running down the stairs, and she throws a note on the kitchen table, and she slams herself into her chair. She's still not talking, but she jerks her head towards the note. And Peter picks up the note, and he reads it out loud. It's to all of us. Well, of course, she mentions Dickens and Scrooge. And then she says that not only do we have a broken family, we're the only house in this whole town that doesn't have a Christmas tree. And she says that the only thing she has left is to lie on the sofa and look at the Christmas tree lights and now. She doesn't even have that. But it's funny how hard we try to hold on to what we can hold on to, and I, in my mind, I'm holding on to something. I'm thinking, why so much drama? We don't need this drama. But I know it's not drama. And I look for the first time at my children's faces, I really look at them and they come into focus. And I see what I haven't wanted to see. They're they're beautiful and confused and pained faces. And I love them more than I love anything in the entire world. And so now I'm crying. (laughs) and I'm crying as though I'll cry forever and now we're all crying. <laughs> I don't know how long we cry for. I, I don't think it's long but yet you know what's weird <laughs> is it's a relief. It's a relief for all of us to be crying. This is really happening. This is real and there's no more pretending or trying too hard. It's just real. And um, here's what else is real. Our children did not ask for this to happen. This human mess, this entirely human and awful mess. And it's real that Christmas as we've known it is gone. There is no more Christmas as we've known it. And it's real that our family as we've known it is no more. What we have here is people sitting at a kitchen table. And yes, there's an empty chair. But now it's silent. You know, you know sometimes when it snows during the night, like three or four feet during the night, and you wake up in the morning, and the snow has blanketed everything and there's this silence that is so pure and is so perfect and is so hopeful. It, it kind of feels like that. And we're all, um, we're all looking at each other and nobody's looking away and nobody's running from the room. We're just here and Christmas is coming. And Peter breaks the silence. Annie and John are right. We need a Christmas tree. And we're going to go to church. And you know why? We're going to go to church because John and I like to sing the carols backwards. And we will have some kind of dinner. And mom, we'll all help.
3: It's like early in the afternoon on Christmas Eve, and I am running around Manhattan doing all my last-minute Christmas shopping, which obviously is all of my Christmas shopping. And I have found myself, against my will, but by necessity in Times Square. And it is like a beautiful day, right? It's bright... Whole beautiful winter afternoon in the city, and I'm thinking this is a perfect set and setting for like the start of a Hallmark Christmas movie, <laughs> right? You know, you know, the one with like the career girl who leaves her life in the big city to travel home to her small hometown for the holidays. <laughs> and, and right now, I am that girl. Like, <laughs> I am living that fantasy. I'm like bustling through the city with bags of presents and stuff on my arms and a coffee in one hand. And in a few hours, I have to catch a midnight train back to my small hometown to make it home for Christmas just in the nick of time. But honestly, I'm feeling so reluctant about it all. Like, I, I'm absolutely not feeling it. All this Christmas hullabaloo. Like, what the fuck is this? capitalist, Christian-ass bullshit, holly-jolly cartoon nonsense. Like, why the fuck am I spending all this money to buy all this stupid shit that's just gonna end up in the freaking trash and we're gonna, what, act like we're kids and unwrap presents under a fucking tree and I have to go to my hometown and I have to go to Times Square? Ugh! Uh. (laughs) So, I am not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. But... I'm doing the damn thing. So I'm out here in Times Square to get tickets to take my mom to see Chicago on Broadway, which is a good gift, right? So I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And I've just left the box office of the theater, tickets in hand, and I'm standing on the corner of 49th Street and Broadway. Now I'm just taking a moment to like regroup, you know, check my phone, see where I need to go next, look at my list, check it twice. (laughs) I light up a spliff, so, like, I'm smoking, I'm getting a little stoned, and I just, like, zoned out for a minute, and I remember, like, staring across the street at this tired Santa Claus ringing his bell in front of a barrow. <laughs> it just really summed up how I felt in that moment. And then, suddenly, out of the blue, this boy appears in front of me, And he's talking to me, and I hear him say, like, can I borrow a lighter? And I don't even take my headphones out, right? I'm just like, sure, here you go. I hand him a lighter. But he keeps on talking to me. So, okay, okay, I'll take my headphones out. (laughs) I'll consent to engage in a conversation with you. Which You just never know how that's going to go on the streets of New York. But for the first time, I really, like, take him in. I really see him. And I can tell that, like, he's a few years younger than me but not by much. He has this like light brown, almost ginger hair, visibly chapped lips, puppy dog eyes. And he just kind of has this look about him of like innocence and like he's a little green, you know? He's kind of just seemed like new to the world in some way. So he asked my name and I'm like, hey, I'm Peter, what's yours? And he's like, I'm Nick. And I said, what's going on, Nick? And he says, I just turned 20. I'm homeless. I've been in New York for one week, and I'm trying to make some friends. Do you want to hang out? (laughs) Which is kind of a hilarious, like, proposition from a stranger on the streets of the city. But, like, look, I'm always down to make a friend, and you seem cool enough, so... You want to hang out? I was like, hell yeah. But I said to him, like, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of doing all this Christmas shopping that I can't really stop. So like, I guess if you want to just like tag along on my errands with me, you are welcome to. And he was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so we get to walking. Now we're crossing a crosswalk. We're like heading south down through Times Square crossing crosswalk with like a few seconds left to spare. So I start scurrying a little bit and he kind of lags behind and he says, sorry, I walk funny. It's from a car accident. So I matched his pace and uh, we just bop along. We continue along. We go into some store that I have to hit and on the way out, I'm hungry. So I'm like, hey, do you want to get something to eat? My treat. So we go to this like nearby like counter service restaurant. We each get a meal, and I'll never forget it. He orders pasta with jalapenos and no sauce. and I, <laughs> I was just like, "Are you new here? Have you ever heard of pasta before? Have you eaten things before?" Like it was so absurd <laughs> and we sat down, we sat down to eat, and we were we're talking more, getting to know each other more. I tell him about my life, and I get to hear more about his life and his situation. And he says to me, the car accident that I mentioned, it actually wasn't an accident. It was part of a suicide attempt. And when he said that, it hit me in the gut. Not even two months before this, a 20-year-old cousin of mine committed suicide. So this was already on my mind, you know? I'd already been thinking about this. I saw how much pain that caused so many, so many people. And the thing is, like, I understand. I actually understand how someone can get to that space. But what do you say? What can anybody possibly say to somebody in that space to make it better? And I felt like oh, this is my chance. This is my chance to say the things that I've been thinking about that I wish I could say. So I said to him, look, I know, Nick, it sounds cliche, but it really is true. It really does get better. And he said, I know that now because of you, because of people like you. We finished our meal and we went back out into the streets and this whole time he'd been kind of like picking at his chapped lips. And I I could tell it was like bothering him, even embarrassing him. So we went into like a Dwayne Reed. I bought him a stick of chapstick and I had an idea. I was like, have you ever been to Union Square? We're going. So Union Square for me is my absolute favorite place in the city. It's always full of so much magic, I think. As my friend from Portland once described it, it's like Burning Man. (laughs) As someone who has spent a lot of time traversing around this city on a $0 budget, Union Square is, in my opinion, the best place to go if you need free bathrooms, cheap food, and good vibes. So I bought him a MetroCard for the week, and we got on the train at 42nd Street and headed downtown to Union Square. And when we arrived there, like, we are immediately... Bombarded with Christmas nonsense right off the bat, right? I mean, there's a whole holiday market happening. So there's all these vendors and people shopping and drinking hot cocoa and Christmas music. And we kind of shuffle our way through the crowd and make it into the park and find a seat on a bench. And it's just a little before sunset. So we're staring off into the west, and the sky is like this cool orange color, everything else fading into dark blue. So all the twinkling lights in the park are lit. And we sat there in silence for a moment, just sort of taking in everything around. And it started to grow chillier noticeably. And without even looking over at me, he said, my hands are cold. So I repeated a line that my dad would always say, cold hands, warm heart, and understanding his invitation, I put my hands in his and held them. After a little while, and the sun had pretty much set, we decided it was time to start parting ways. So I gathered up all my bags, (laughs) my bags of gifts and wrapping paper and tickets and boxes. It kind of felt a little less heavy now. And we made our way out onto the corner of the park. So we're standing in the corner where like 14th Street meets Broadway around there and saying our goodbyes. And you know, (laughs) we were positioned so that behind him I could see the metronome, which was this amazing art installation, public art on the side of the building there. It's my favorite piece in the city because it always reminds me of magic. (laughs) It's like this giant wand of sorts that's culminating in this golden ray sunburst and, and this like helping hand reaching out overhead. I love this piece. And right now he's standing so that the golden rays of this sunburst are like rippling out from behind his head, <laughs> like a freaking painting of a Catholic saint. <laughs> and I said to him, It was really great to meet you, St. Nick." And he paused and seemed to like think for a moment. And he just said simply, can I kiss you? (laughs) So I leaned in and I kissed his chapped lips and we both smiled and parted ways. (laughs) And it was so magical. The whole thing, the whole day, the kiss, the park, the serendipity of it all, I, I honestly felt this burst of cheer <laughs> and and almost disbelief, right? Like, I couldn't believe it. I, I felt like as we were walking away, I could have turned around and he would have disappeared with a jingling of bells and a flurry of snow. <laughs> Later that night, as I sat on that midnight train back to my small hometown for the holidays, I thought about Nick and I thought, maybe for the first time, I understand the meaning of Christmas spirit.
0: This is The Roaches Behind Me Now, and we just heard from Peter Mercury, who is such a magically multifaceted artist. Peter performs regularly as a circus artist and dancer at venues like the famous House of Yes in Brooklyn. And their work has been featured in the New York Times and Glamour Magazine. Check out their amazing Instagram at PeterXMercury. And before Peter, we heard Chewbacca singing Silent Night, a now legendary sound collage made in 1999. And lo and behold... Our editor, John Lasala told me that Chewie's carol there was created by Scott Anderson of Room 34, a friend of the podcast. We've had Room 34's jazz on the show often. Anyway, the hilarious story of how and why Scott created that very viral tune can be found at room34.com Chewbacca. We'll be right back. Folks, whatever it is you celebrate this time of year, we are sending all of the love to you and yours. We wish you love and peace this year. I hope you're giving a lot of love and getting a lot of love and taking a little break and relaxing and enjoying yourself because it's been one heck of a year. And listen, next Tuesday, we'll have an episode called happy stories and the tuesday after that an episode called holiday blues although even those bluesy stories are really lovely in their own way but that's all coming soon and folks today's the day take a risk
3: sing joy joyous No, 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 no,
2: much no,
3: no, 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 no,
4: no, no,
2: no,